a life of righteousness lived out, a divine demonstration. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. There is to be a divine demonstration of God upon the earth and the church of Jesus Christ is the vessel or the vehicle that the Father has chosen and called to perform this divine work. The church of Jesus Christ has been selected by God to release and demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God into the earth. The wisdom of God comes in the form of the demonstration of God's spirit and power. Man's wisdom comes in the form of words and the mental understanding of words. Ephesians 3.10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This wisdom is a divine demonstration. There is to be an authentic demonstration which can be seen, touched, felt, and experienced in the world because the church is actually becoming Christ-like. And just like Christ was the tangible expression of God's glory, and the exact representation of his nature, so are we becoming as his disciples and his church. 2 Peter 1, 3-4 1 John 4, 17 says, As Jesus was, so are we in this world. The divine demonstration, which is called wisdom, is what the Father is expecting to come forth from us as per Ephesians 3.10. Wisdom is not knowledge of words, but the demonstration of God on earth. This is why Luke 7.35 and Matthew 11.19 say, Wisdom is vindicated by her children, and wisdom is proven. Disciples of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, in other words, prove through the demonstration of their lives that they are in Christ, wisdom, because they are able to demonstrate this divine wisdom of God a Christ-like life. The evidence of our maturity in Christ is in our ability to be this divine wisdom on this earth, for all of mankind to taste and see. We need to know where we are honestly at in reference to all of this, because there is an eternal reward at stake for the body of Christ, who live out the wisdom of God on the earth, and there is a loss for those who don't. Where are we honestly at when it comes to being able to demonstrate God's divine wisdom of spirit and power? It's essential we know God's wisdom so we can grow and come into the eternal life he has for us now and in the age to come. This wisdom is broken into two parts, and the two parts make up the whole. You could call it the two becoming one principle. The first part of this divine demonstration of wisdom is all about the ability to demonstrate the nature of God, being the fruit of his spirit, the characteristics of love, and his being attitudes. The ability to be demonstrating this wisdom is all centered on our true knowledge or the true knowing of who God is through divine revelation, where the Holy Spirit imparts the word of God deep in our innermost being. And as an outcome of this, we are able to demonstrate incorruptible love, the characteristics of this love, the other fruit of the Spirit, and the nine being attitudes of Christ's kingdom. The first aspect, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8, to 8, 
the characteristics of love. Galatians 5, 22 to 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Matthew 5, 3 to 12, the being attitudes or the be attitudes. The first aspect is the number one aspect and is the most important as it defines the second part, which are the physical manifested works of God. The second aspect, these works are the preaching of the gospel, the healing of the sick, the raising of the dead, the reigning with Christ through the binding and loosened kingdom dimensions, discipleship process, looking after the poor and the widows. Matthew 10 verse 1, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, John 14, 12, Ephesians 2, 10. These works are to be inspired, led, centered and empowered all by the Holy Spirit. These works are centered in Christ, inspired by Christ, led by Christ, and empowered by Christ, all for the glory of Christ. All these works are accomplished from the Sabbath rest of God, which is operating within and from us. This is the only position to be in and live from, so all we do is a righteous act or work of the saints. The way of God is narrow, but the more we are in him, and live from this divine fellowship or posture of oneness, we are able to see all the intricacies and the dynamics of living and being in the Spirit. If we cannot see the narrow way, we will more than likely stay exactly where we have always been, or we will get entangled in our version of God, which keeps us outside of life in Christ. We will do works, but they will be centered, inspired, led, and empowered by our flesh. Or our own strength, and not by eternal faith in him. So they get burnt up at the judgment seat of Christ, rendering our works futile and void of reward. So let's define this divine demonstration of wisdom upon the earth, which the church of Jesus Christ is responsible for modeling and demonstrating, bringing glory to God. It's essential we don't have the demonstration of this wisdom as our goal, or pursue the outcome of it, but enter into God's process which produces this divine demonstration of wisdom. The demonstration becomes the outcome of being in God's process. The demonstration will take care of itself when we are truly in God's divine way, which is brought to light by his divine eternal word. Here is the way which we will break down bit by bit and clearly explain each part. Each part is essential, and the order of each part is essential if this divine demonstration of wisdom is to be manifested in and through the church, the disciples, sons, saints, priests, nation, soldiers, aliens, strangers, the bride of Christ. In other words, the people of God. The divine order is fellowship, followed by faith, followed by fruitfulness, followed by function. When we flow in this divine pattern, we live a life of righteousness. And this pattern not only prepares us and has us being made ready, but it also has us demonstrating the righteous acts or actions of the church, the saints. It is these acts that have us receiving the bride's fine linen garment. Revelation 19, 7-8. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, 
and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Let's look at the first base position or the beginning based and anchored position in which this divine demonstration of wisdom is founded and built upon. Number one, fellowship. Not one single person starts their physical life in fellowship with God. We all start our lives outside of fellowship or spiritual oneness with God in sin and iniquity. We all start in function where we look to receive our identity, our sense of meaning and purpose, our passions from what we do and what we accomplish as opposed to who we are in fellowship with Christ. Many in the body talk about fellowship but live in and by function. This position is disastrous for the follower of Christ because the Father created and gave us life, that we would be one with him, with his Son, and his Spirit. God created mankind for divine fellowship or fellowship with himself, the triune God. Anything less than this is to live outside of the created design and purpose for one's life. We enter into this eternal position, fellowship of oneness with God, through the power of the gospel, which is contained within the Spirit. The power that is in the blood of Jesus Christ propels us into spiritual oneness in our innermost being, which starts the process of the abiding life within us. We have been united in Christ's death and resurrection when this experience takes place. We have been crucified with Christ, and it is I who no longer lives, but the life we now live is to live by faith in Christ. Let's unpack some of the scriptures in relation to fellowship and see what we must come into. 1 John 1.3 What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. When John says what we have seen and heard, he is referring to Jesus Christ. When he has seen, heard, and touched in relation to the eternal life, Jesus Christ, he is declaring to us for the purpose of us being able to come into the reality of the unseen dimension and have divine fellowship or spiritual oneness with the other saints. John goes on to say that their divine fellowship is also with the Father and the Son. The life of Jesus Christ was manifested or made known to them through the receiving of the divine impartation by power. And John turns and invites us all to receive the same divine impartation through them sharing the living, eternal, divine word. As we hear, receive, and accept this divine word, we believe. And through believing a living conviction, we now have fellowship with the Father, the Son, and one another. It's God's divine words of spirit and life which bring us into this divine dance of being one with Him and one another. Let's have a look at what verses 6 and 7 say from 1 John 1. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. 
Our fellowship with one another is defined by our fellowship with him. And our fellowship with him is defined by our walking in the light and practicing or demonstrating the truth. It says if we say we are in fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So in essence, we must be of the light and walk in the light to have divine fellowship with the Father, the Son, and one another. Acts 2.42 says the disciples were continually devoting themselves to fellowship along with the apostles' teaching, prayer, and the breaking of bread. Fellowship is a pillar along with the other three pillars which define and shape the early church at its inception. We have confused spiritual oneness, fellowship, or friendship, or companionship. We say things like, come over for a time of fellowship, or let's get together for a fun time of fellowship with one another. We can clearly see from 1 John 1 that fellowship is in accordance to being in the light and not about relational connections of friendship. Let's look at another passage in 1 Corinthians 1 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What an amazing divine invitation to be called into spiritual oneness with Jesus Christ. This is the prayer of the high priest and apostle in John 17, 21. No wonder Paul taught us not to be bound together with unbelievers. He says, what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? 2 Corinthians 6, 14. What oneness does the demonic have with the spirit? What oneness does the natural, the flesh, the physical have with the spirit? the eternal. Many followers ignore this truth and get themselves emotionally, financially, relationally, mentally connected with unbelievers, and they wonder why they have all the issues they do. If we will heed God's truth, especially around fellowship and becoming one with him, we will find ourselves living in and from an abundance of life in him. Out of fellowship comes faith. Let's look at the second base position, faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This must be the faith we have. We must be growing in and living from this faith if we want to be able to live out a divine demonstration of Christ upon the earth. Peter talks about having the same kind of faith as his and the other disciples he is walking with. He is fully aware that it is a faith as it is written and not our version or anyone else's version of what faith is. We need a faith that knows, that sees, and has an absolute conviction of the unseen. What many call faith isn't faith at all. It's wishful thinking and absolute blindness painted up as faith. You could call it blind faith. At best, it may be trust. But a faith that doesn't see is not faith at all. What we see in the natural can overwhelm what God says. This is why we need a faith that knows. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. This faith is essential because it is by this kind of faith that all the works for God are accomplished. This is what James was talking about when he talked about faith and works. James 2, 17. Even so faith if it has no works, is dead. 
being by itself. Verse 18 says, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You see that faith was working with his works and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. When works are accomplished by faith, the scriptures are fulfilled. The scriptures are prophetic, 2 Peter 1, 20-21, living, spirit and life, and they declare a future now dynamic for the people of God to hear, receive, accept, and have perfected within them, causing them to believe and fulfill the reality through a divine demonstration, wisdom. The scriptures speak of God's eternal purpose for us as his people and all those who come into this prophetic utterance will find themselves living in accordance to it now, being made ready and looking ahead to the age to come. This is the faith we require, which comes from our fellowship or spiritual oneness with God. How can we have this kind of faith if we are walking in darkness, the flesh, as 1 John 1 6 to 7 states, Every work of God is to be accomplished by faith. This is what we are looking at in Hebrews 11. You will see the words by faith. The righteous live by faith and accomplish the righteous acts or works by faith in Jesus Christ. This is all one pattern. This is all of one kind. Hebrews 11, 33. And 1 John 3, 11 to 12 are classic examples of this in relation to Cain and Abel. Those who are made righteous through the power of the resurrected one, John eleven twenty five, enter into a divine fellowship with the one who has made them righteous. And out of this fellowship comes a righteous kind of faith, which all works get accomplished by and through. These are the righteous acts which the Father rewards in the form of fine linen garments, the bride's wedding garments. Hebrews 11.7 is an example of what I'm referring to. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. There are many other works like these, and we will look at them when we look at divine function and see how righteous acts must be accomplished through a faith which is on or of a right kind, the spirit of faith. 2 Corinthians 4.13 But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, Hebrews 11.1, 1, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. It is this faith which is more precious than gold. Why is it more precious than gold? Because it is eternal. And gold, although it is a very precious commodity, is still of earth and perishable. 1 Peter 1.7 So that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the next third base position, fruitfulness. Number three, fruitfulness. 
Spiritual seed produces spiritual fruit. Mark 4, 1 to 29. John 15, 4 to 5 says this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 8. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The key to fruit being produced in us is through our abiding of the Spirit. There is no fruit where there is no abiding. The fruit is the outcome of the abiding in and of the Spirit. We don't chase the outcomes, fruit, but we must know what it really is to abide in and of the Spirit. The question we then must all ask is how does one abide in Christ, the vine? So fruit is produced in and through us, the branch. We come to abide in the Spirit by receiving the Holy Spirit through resurrectional power. It's God's resurrectional power that propels us and empowers us to enter into the abiding life of the Spirit within us, in the depths of our innermost recesses of our heart. We now find ourselves in the in-Him posture and position on the inside of us, and new life begins to grow and form. We have entered into the abiding life in Christ, the true vine. As the branch, we now find ourselves with new life in us. This new life is called the fruit of the Spirit. We are starting to have Christ's life being formed on the inside of us. It has nothing to do with our doing or ability to create or build this life inside us, but the Spirit's. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians 5.23 Galatians 5.23 goes on to say, Against such things, the fruit, there is no law. This is connected to verse 8 of John 15, where it says we bear much fruit, because there is no law against how much fruit one can receive and have formed within and through them, from abiding in the true vine, the Christ. The abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us is the absolute key to having the fruit of the Spirit established in form and built in us. This building work empowers us to release God's divine nature into the earth for all to experience and see. 1 John 3, 24 The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. 1 John 4, 12-13 No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. The evidence of all people seeing God comes from the tangible manifestation of God's people loving one another with his love, the incorruptible love of heaven. This is the evidence that God abides in us, and that his love is being perfected in us. If this isn't occurring, then we are not abiding in Christ. This is one of the massive reasons why God has given us the church, his spirit, 
So we abide in him and him in us, enabling us to love our neighbor as ourselves, our neighbor starting with every follower of Jesus Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and then a lost world. Love always starts with God first, his body second, and the world third. Only when we abide in Christ and Christ in us will this be our reality and our divine way of being. We must be surrendered and committed to becoming God's family as our first base position from the eternal posture of fellowship rather than having external works for God as our first base position. We are part of God's spiritual family, but what position defines the family of God as our first or beginning position? Is it fellowship or is it function? The true heart and mind position of every follower will be evident in the way we live and what we are able to live out and demonstrate. As already mentioned, heaven's divine pattern of righteousness is first, fellowship, second, faith, third, fruitfulness, fourth, function. The function are righteous works centered, inspired, empowered, and led by the Spirit. This equals a life of righteousness, 1 Peter 2, 24. Now that we have looked at three out of the four base positions of heaven's divine pattern, it's now time to look at position four, function. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. When we, the church, are the works of his hands, his workmanship, then we truly get to flow in the predestined works of God for us as a family, a body, and individuals. It's when we are not the work of his hands that we never get to flow from these works already prepared, and we attempt to do what we think we should do, all in accordance to our own way and strength. This is a recipe for disaster, and many are stuck in this recipe and even redefine this recipe to make it look new, when all it is is the same recipe dressed up as something new. It continues to make us physically or fleshly fat and spiritually skinny and well undernourished, bordering on spiritual anorexia. Jesus is the builder of his church, and he builds us into the image of himself through the sanctificational work of the spirit and faith in the truth. The church that Jesus builds is a church that the gates of Hades or darkness don't overpower. The church that Jesus builds overcomes the flesh, the world, the adversary by the life of Christ being built and established within her and through her. This leads us into looking at the righteous acts or functioning work of the saints that are in Christ. There are three different kinds of works, but they all come from the same source, him. Let's look at the first. Number one, the first righteous act is to believe in him. John 6, 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. We are to believe, to be fully convinced of who Jesus is as Messiah and in what he says. The words of Jesus are spirit and life, and they perform the work of God in all those who believe in him and in what he has spoken and written. 
This work is a work of fellowship. It is a work of the heart and mind. It is not an external work, but an inner work of transformation, which ultimately will come and lead us into an eternal demonstration of Christ. But it starts on the inside. This, out of all the three righteous works, is the most essential and important because it will define and shape the other two righteous works. As always, the first or beginning position is the most critical to getting the middle and the end in absolute alignment and oneness in him. If we truly want to live lives of righteousness, the first work of God, which is to spiritually believe, is the key. It means to have a living conviction of the heart, not a mental agreement. Look at 1 John 5, 5 and also 1 John 3, 23 to 24 for more scriptural evidence of this fellowship position of a righteous act of believing. 1 John 5, 5 says, Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 1 John 3, 23 to 24 says, This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandment abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. 1 John 5.5 5 starts with a question for us. Who is the one who overcomes the world? Who is the person and the people who overcome the flesh, the spirit of the world, and the adversary. The answer to those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the risen King, the Lord of Lords, are the people who overcome the world. Now, if this is the case, then why is it, if all there is is to believe, are so many followers of Jesus overcome by the world, as opposed to overcoming the world? What is this righteous work of fellowship called believe? To believe in its maturest form is to be having an absolute conviction in the heart, the place of understanding, because one has received through hearing the word of God. One has received the tangible substance of God's eternal food source within themselves. And it is this that causes this kind of belief or to believe. It is a belief which is anchored centered and based upon the receiving of God's eternal food and water source. John 6, 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. Verse 55. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Let me start that again. Verse 55. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, John 15, and I in him. To not be eating and drinking in this kingdom way is to not have the believe of fellowship we need as our number one position for our righteous acts. For many, believe is just to carry a mental agreement of who Jesus is and what he says. We say, yes, I believe, but our lives don't necessarily reflect or demonstrate this belief. 
And it is because we only have a mental agreement and not a living reality or a heart conviction of belief, which empowers us to demonstrate this life of righteousness. We fail in the demonstration, which is the evidence we are in Christ. And yet we blow this off as of nothing and maintain our mental agreement of belief so we can stay and maintain our forms of godliness rather than living lives of godliness. We don't have a belief that knows we have an empty belief, but it sounds good and it's convincing to all those who lack spiritual discernment. Look at the words of Peter in John 6, 69. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It is because of this kind of belief that Peter remains while all the other disciples walk away and follow him no more. Peter has a belief based on revelation through the Spirit that Jesus is the Messiah, Matthew 16, 17. And it is this that forms his knowing. Let's move on now to the second righteous work, which is the righteous act is to love him and others with his love. Mark 12, 29 to 31. The foremost is here, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is no other commandment greater than these. John 15, 12 to 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Great love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. This powerful second righteous work of the Spirit flows from the first work of the Spirit, which is to believe in him and in what he says. The first righteous work enables and empowers the second work of righteousness. If we are not in the first righteous work of the Spirit, we will be found trying to love God and others from our own strength and failing miserably. We will not be able to keep the commandments of love, so in turn not be able to keep our covenant with God and our fellow saints. And we will be found loving self, others and our possessions at our first place. 1 John 2, 3 is the evidence of being in and living from the first righteous work of belief, which empowers the second righteous work of loving. 1 John 2, 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. It's the knowledge or the knowing that comes from the believing that enables the loving. Jesus said, if you love another more than him, then we are not worthy of him. His blood makes us worthy. So what are we not worthy of? The word worthy here means spiritually fit. We are not spiritually fit to lay hold of all we are laid hold of for and in turn miss out on all we can have in Christ. We don't get to receive, partake of, and be part of the fullness of the life in Christ now or in the future age to come. Ephesians 6.24 says, Grace to all those who love Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. To not be able to demonstrate the second righteous work is to not be faithful and obedient to the great commandment, which in turn sees you missing out on all of the kingdom life now and in the age to come. This is the second righteous act or work, but the first functional work of being in fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. 
So the first function and work in Christ is to love God and humanity with the love of heaven, which no person can do or demonstrate until they have lost self and had the source of self removed and replaced with the source of love. This can only happen through receiving the true gospel or word of God, Jesus himself, through his power, Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. This is where love is implanted where self was, and one is now able to love as Christ to the measure one has received love and is being perfected in love. This is Ephesians 6, 24, or 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, love, which is eternal. This isn't where you have to try to love, but it's where you find yourself just loving. Love and loving like this is a fruit of your life and a new way of being. To love means to obey God's commandments, and God's commandments in turn teach us to live lives of love. The third righteous act is to partner with the Holy Spirit to see God's Spirit-centered, inspired, and empowered, and led works by faith accomplished. These works or acts involve making disciples, testifying to the truth, which is Him, healing of the sick, giving, serving, prophecy, working as a body in unison, casting out the demons, feeding the poor, looking after the widows, etc. Hebrews 11.33 says this, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained the promises. These are the great people of faith. Hebrews 11.7, by faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Hebrews 11.4, by faith able to God, a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was the righteous. All three of these righteous acts are accomplished by faith. Faith being the assurance of what one hopes for and the conviction of the unseen. To believe the way I am to comes from faith. To love the way I am commanded to comes from faith. To know which works need to be accomplished comes through the Holy Spirit by faith. It's not just about doing any act, but righteous acts are done or accomplished by faith. This is why the righteous live by faith. Every aspect of those who are righteous live by faith. They believe by faith, they love by faith, they demonstrate by faith. I want to leave you with this last scripture, which is James 2.18. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works.